Sherrod Lewis remembers listening to R&B for most of his childhood. His two sisters were uber fans of the genre. Naturally, their love for the genre and music in general had a huge impact on their little brother. Sherrod's thoughts, however, ran a lot deeper than just knowing the hit songs. He wanted to know how they were created. He recalled spending hours trying to deconstruct the tones, drums, melodies, and other sounds that he was hearing. By his early teenage years, he was convinced. Music wasn't just something that he loved. Music was who he was. Sherrod joined with a few friends and formed the Supreme Band. They were an instant hit. Supreme would go on to produce three albums and become one of the new it bands among teens on the island. One night, outside of a local beach bar, Sherrod was approached by the artist Panther. Panther is one of Anguilla's biggest soca stars. Panther complimented him on the night's performance, but then shocked him by asking him to join his band. It was a no-brainer. Sherrod had dreamed about such an opportunity since childhood. After studying every one of the songs on the band's latest album, he blew away the band's members and the band's management at his audition. Within days, he would hit the stage with the infamous Panther Vibes International, PVI. As one of two producers with PVI, Sherrod Starr continued to rise as he produced and assisted with creating hit after hit for the band. Life was good. Sherrod, however, did not want to be complacent. He decided to hoist anchor and enrolled at Full Sail University in Florida. Full Sail opened an entire new world to Sherrod. By the time he graduated, he was one of the most sought-after young producer-slash-engineers in the Caribbean. Today, he splits his time between studios in Miami, his native Anguilla, and Trinidad. Do you need a smash hit? Get in line. Sherrod is usually booked solid, a testament to his penchant for producing hits and making them sound exquisite through his engineering. He has already produced for Soka's A-list, but Sherrod is not finished. He has his sights set on new markets and new artists. And if history is an indicator, he will accomplish those goals. In the meantime, this is the story, thus far, of Sherrod Lewis. I am Crispin Brooks, and this is Planet 30. He is an international soca producer. I'm pretty sure you've heard one of his songs and danced to many others. Sherrod Lewis, welcome to Planet 30. Thank you so much for having me, Crispin. I really appreciate you reaching out to have me part of your series, and I'm really honored. Man, the honor is mine, super producer. (laughs) I'm trying, I'm trying. (laughs) So, Sherrod, tell us about your musical taste as a child. Interesting question. Well, you know, right? Believe it or not, I grew up listening to a lot of R&B, pop. You see, my sisters were big music fans as well, and they listened to a lot of this type of music. So I just used to listen to what they listened to. And this is what got me into people like TLC, Brandy, Monica, Michael Jackson, 
you name it, all those artists that were popular back in like the 90s, uh-huh. those were the people that I was actually listening to back then, believe it or not. Interesting. So who are some of your favorite artists? Even I, I know you mentioned Brandy and Monica, but who are some of those that really hit you? Um, I would say Michael Jackson really had an impact on me and Whitney Houston. Those two artists to me really touched me in a way that caused me to want to pursue music and actually try to take it to another level. Mm-hmm. So when did the Soka Bug hit? Well, that would be more later on in the 90s, the late 90s, I would say, starting to hear bands like we would call the Vito Band at the time, um, Axa Band. I remember, like, in the school, we would have a lot of, like, class parties, and, like, you have this, everybody bring their CDs, and we playing the music, and he started to catch me, like, the song of this music started to catch me, I was like... You know, something different about this music is like, you know, you hear soca music from other islands, down the islands like Trinidad and Barbados, but this music from like Vito and Axa and those kind of bands stood out to me and, and started to create a new love for this song. Mm-hmm. And then once you got to high school, you were a part of the creation of the Supreme Band. Tell us about your Supreme days. Yeah. Um, well, this started out, we were in, I think it was Campus B at the time, in high school. That was what we would call junior high. It started out with just me. I had a friend called Lennox, which is your cousin. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jermaine Payne, uh, Jamie Webster, a few other guys. We would bring drum machines to school and just battle it out in class. Like, we used to actually have beat battles, like, on break, or uh, even sometimes during class. <laughs> if yeah. we didn't come to the class, we would bring all the drum machines, we'd take them out of our backpacks and actually be playing beats, and then all the students would be judging, like, who has the best beats and so on. And I think that's where this whole love for the, the Red and Box thing started. Interesting. And Jermaine, in his interview on Plan, here on Plan 30, he said that, you and him would be on the phone for hours and hours and hours at a time, even yeah. while he was in college. Yeah, that's that's that was a lot of fun, and I must say that um, he had a big influence on me um, sticking with the music because I mean he had a strong passion for it as well, the same way, and just having somebody else in your corner that was just as passionate as you to keep the motivation going was really a blessing, you know. So he was one of the people that would say that that um helped with me sticking to it and getting to where I am today. Mm-hmm. Interesting question, Sherrod. What was your first rhythm box? <laughs> it was a purple rhythm box. It was called the Boss DR-770. I'll never forget that. I remember I asked my dad that, to purchase me one when he went to Puerto Rico. He went away to Puerto Rico for a few days and I was like you know I really really want this drum machine because I've been seeing a lot of good reviews about it online and I want to get one to start making my own beats and he was like okay um, I'll see what I can do and, and sure enough when he came back he brought it and the rest was history so, so I know that your sisters your older sisters took a more traditional route 
in terms of career path. Were your parents supportive or were they kind of hesitant about this whole music thing? Well, in the beginning, they were hesitant because, you know, like, you know, traditionally, like, music is considered just a hobby to most. So they were more skeptical. Is is this something that you can really make a living from? So they were more on the path of saying, you know, I think maybe you should pursue something else. Like, you know, because I was really good at, at computers, using computers and computer programming and so back in the day. It was like, well, you don't try studying computer science or something like that. But it's like, I just had something deep inside of me that was telling me music. Go the path of music. Like, music is what it is for you. That's your calling. And because of that, I stuck with it. And even though my parents was encouraging me to do something that might have been a little bit safer, I just followed my heart. And that's where I ended up today. Mm-hmm. Sherrod, what was the eureka moment, like that moment when you knew? I know that you were thinking about it a long time as a teenager. What was that defining moment when you knew that being a a full-time producer was your future? Uh, I would say when I joined PVI, I remember my first performance with them was in a disco, Red Dragon Disco. And that night that I went on a stage... The reaction that I saw from the crowd that night when we started to play, that was like the defining moment where I was like, you know, this is something I have to make a career out of. Like, the reaction those people gave me is like, I mean, I put that energy out to the crowd and when they sent it back to me like tenfold, I was like, wow, this is something I really, really need to take seriously. How, how old were you at the time? I was 20. Mm. Yeah, I was 20. How did you feel when you got the call to join PVI? And for those that don't know, PVI at the time was one of the biggest bands in the sub-region of, uh, you know, the, the smaller islands, Anguilla, St. Martin, St. Kitts, Nevis, etc. How, how did you feel? I was really honored. I mean, I remember the night um, I was, actually, we were still, Supreme Band was still functioning, but it was at the coming to an end because everybody was going to college and taking different paths in life. But um, I remember we were performing Sand the Ground. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of the spot. I think it was Sammy's. But um, I remember we were performing that night. We did, we had a really nice performance and Panta happened to be there and he was listening. And I remember after we, I came off the stage, he approached me and was like, you know, I've been listening to you for a while now and I really like your song, like, can't really see myself working with anybody else in Angola right now that could give me the song other than you and I would really like for you to consider coming on board and playing with my band and I was like what like you serious that's what I was going through in my head I was like Panther because I remember I grew up listening to Panther Better like, Band yeah. yeah like Better Band was one of my favorite bands growing up and to hear him approach me and say that he was always listening to me throughout the years and he really liked my song. That was a, a, a really an honor. So, yeah. You never know who's listening to you. Yeah. Tell us about a little more about the PVI days. Because you guys were rock stars. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> That's a good way of looking at it because, I mean, man, the kind of experiences I had with PVI last a lifetime. Like, I remember... 
touring, going to different islands, just seeing the reaction from people. I remember the the night that I performed in St. Martin for the Heineken Regatta. After I got off the stage, there were two people that came to me asking me for autograph, and I was like, what? I was like, you serious? You want an autograph from me? That's what I'm thinking to myself. But I just played along, and I, you know, I signed, I signed the CDs for them. But that was... Uh, a special moment for me to realize that people actually appreciate what you're doing and look up to you and you know and that was motivation as well it was also the performances like places like in St. Kitts and Tartola I mean the reaction that we got when we go to these places was like we were like celebrities like as we get off the plane people coming to us like yo I love you guys songs and like can't wait to hear you guys perform later and so forth and like those things were always motivating you know mm-hmm. validation yeah <laughs> now in anguilla in particular band culture is colossal the competition mm-hmm. is colossal Sherrod, talk to us about the preparation that goes into the annual hoopla of carnival in anguilla not uh not only the albums but band clash and juve so we would usually come together maybe like well i must say this was something that i guess we needed to change but this was where we did it back then we would come together maybe a month before carnival and we would sit down and discuss like the different ideas that we have and what we wanted to accomplish for the season and then from there you know I guess the singers will come with their ideas in terms of musical concepts, and I would try to bring it to life by, um, you know, just having conversations, trying to get into the mind of the singer, trying to find out the best way to convey that that idea through the music. Um, I would say that sometimes it was really nerve-wracking because, you know, you go in and not sure what the outcome may may be, but you know you just go in, you give it your all, and try to make the best out of it. In terms of like the carnival part of it, is like you know it's very competitive in Angola when it comes to music. You know we take our band culture really serious, and it's like everybody is. It's almost like politics where it's like. People want to know who you back in, who who is your favorite band, and so forth. Indeed. Yeah, so it's like, it's a lot of pressure trying to live up to the fans' expectations. And I'm going to say it was also fun, though. Even though it was a lot of pressure, it was a lot of fun. And then the feeling of seeing the reaction of the fans when you actually get out on the stage and perform the songs and see the way that they actually enjoy the effort that you put into the creations was was it was a good feeling. Mm-hmm. What are some of your favorite tracks that you produce for PVI? It's a quite a few, but um, the ones that stood out to me, I would say, was um, Rooster, Spread Out, uh, Walk Out, Stick Around. Yeah, back in those days, yeah, those were the songs I would say that stick out to me. Okay, okay, okay. Serious rhythm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, you were an early 20-something as you 
recalled that you had uh, people asking you for autographs. The world was your oyster. Why did you decide then to go to college? Because some may say, well, you were already doing music. Why did you want to go to college to study what you were already doing? You see, back then, I always had an issue with the song in terms of the song quality. I felt like something was missing. And it, I, I believe it was because lack the knowledge, not just me, just the, the musicians, the engineers around the region, the small island region, lack the knowledge of what it took to get that big song out of the speakers when you produce a song. And I was like, you know, I really want to be able to bring that song that you hear from the bigger islands like Trinidad and Barbados and Jamaica. I want to be able to, when my music plays alongside those songs, it sounds just as good. And I'm talking about the song quality because, I mean, the creative side of it was already just as good, but I felt like we were lacking in terms of the song quality. So that was my turning point where I decided, you know what, I want to go to college and further my education in terms of audio engineering in order to become better at bringing that song out of the speakers. Indeed. So tell us about your experience at Full Sail University. So my, my, my experience at Full Sail was eye-opening because I got exposed to different cultures, different people, different mindsets that allowed me to start to think even bigger and realize like, you know, I was only exposed to such a small portion of the music industry. And when I came across all these talented people from all around the world, I realized there was so much more out there to experience. And it made me want to even take my career to another level in terms of pursuing, working with artists on an international level. Mm-hmm. Sherrod, what are you, what are some of your favorite genres outside of soca? Well, I would say that I listen to basically everything. Like I don't really, I would say that I basically listen to almost everything: um, R and B, pop, dancehall, reggae, Afro beats, you name it. I listen to almost everything. I mean, it's like once it makes you feel good on the inside, I'm listening. So when's the country album coming? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one because I mean I didn't want to make it seem like you know I have anything against country, but I would say that's the the one that I listen to the least. It's not that it's not some good country songs over there, but yeah, country is the one I would say I listen to the least. <laughs> <laughs> Going back a little bit to full sail, and you mentioning that you wanted to learn certain things that uh, would improve the sound of your music. What are some of the things you had to unlearn because you were already in a groove of doing music the the quote-unquote small island way? Were there any things that you had to unlearn that you thought, oh, this is how we do it, but then you realize, oh, this is a better way? Well, there's one thing that I learned after going to Full Sail is that nothing is set in stone. You always have to keep an open mind and always be willing to change and adapt because it's like, the sound of music, I mean, the world on a whole is changing every day. So for you to just stick to what you know and feel like that's the best or the only way is kind of like stifling your growth. So one eye opener for me was to just stay open 
and always be willing to try different things that you never did before. Mm-hmm. Sherrod, do you prefer producing or being an engineer? Um, to me personally, I think that producing is like the umbrella that covers all those aspects. So for me, being a producer involves engineering. It's like when I when I'm working on a song, the sonics of a song, choosing the right songs, all of that to me is part of engineering. Um, knowing how to make the song groove, believe it or not, also is part of engineering because um, I see engineering as just the sparkling or uh, the icing on the cake. But in terms of the producing now, it's like that covers the entire spectrum of the, the, the song, you know. Talk to us a little bit about the discipline involved in doing what it is you do. Because a lot of guys sometimes think, ah, music is easy, this is what I do. But I know you've worked extra, extra hard to get to the level that you're at. What, what is, you know, talk to us about the discipline. Well, um, I guess because I was so passionate about it, the discipline just came naturally. It just was organic because I knew this was my calling. I know this is what I was put here to do. So it's like every single day I get up, it's like I'm just thinking about music. I'm thinking about what can I do today musically to better myself. I'm always trying to learn something new. I'm always trying something new. It's like, it's, it's a never ending process of growth. So for me personally, I felt like the discipline, I didn't even view it as discipline just because of how passionate I was about music. Mm-hmm. And were there any difficulties that you faced um, on your rise, especially coming from a small island? You get a lot of resistance when you're unknown, so it's hard to break through certain barriers, especially new markets that you've never touched before because people want to work with people that they've heard of before. Uh, they know their work. So stepping into markets where you're unknown and no one has ever heard about you before, people are skeptical about working with you. So you have to do something that stands out in order for them to even be willing to give you a chance. So, I mean, it was a challenge, but also fun in the sense of it always pushed me to be better, you know? So I felt like I chose to see from a positive point of view and use that as motivation to always step my game up when stepping into unknown territories. Sure, let me ask you this. Does it make sense in this day and age for artists and producers to sign with major labels or to stay independent? Especially in Soka, you know, where historically it's been always independent. What do you think? Um, I think that the power of a record label has diminished because of the rise of social media. So because now that people have access to the entire world through social media, and they can put something out there and it's accessible to everyone in the blink of an eye, I think that we know as independent artists, producers, musicians, we have that power that the record labels once only had. 
at one point they were the only ones that could have done this stuff. But once you work on your brand and, and focus on getting yourself seen, then when you put stuff out there, I mean, people will just listen once the content is good. So I don't really think that the the, the necessity for a music label, a record label, sorry, is really that important anymore. Mm-hmm. Sure, tell us, and we know it's a lot, tell us what projects you've worked on. <laughs> yeah, definitely is a lot. Um, I can tell you, it would be easier for me to just tell you some of the artists that I've worked with. Yes, um, yeah, the artists. Yeah, I've worked with people like Alison Hines, Deathstra, Shansia, Taurus Riley, Kess, Claudette Peters, Patrice Roberts, Ayers, Pumpo, that's just the name of few. There's a lot more than that. <laughs> this is the creme de la creme we're talking. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us, I mean, you, you've just named a bevy of artists that you've worked with. Are there any artists out there that you still, you'd still like to work with? Um, yeah, I mean, I know, to be honest with you, I'm trying to take it to another level. I want to step into the Jamaican market. I want to step into the African market. And I want to touch a few American artists as well. So, I mean, I don't want to give anything away, but, yeah, I'm trying to touch into those markets at the moment. Got it, got it. I mean, not that you're giving it away, but is there anybody that you, you like to listen to that you, you'd you like to, to work with and say, hey, I think I could do something special for this person? Yeah, I mean, Rihanna is at the top of the list. Rihanna. Makes sense. Sherrod, being from Anguilla, I have a big question for you here. What's preventing Small Island Soka from popping? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I believe it's, um, it's, it's it's not enough effort put into marketing. I feel like we need to put more effort into the branding, the PR, just making sure that the music is seen before it's heard. Because, I mean, if it's not seen, it's not going to be heard. So, we you know, a social media age, a digital age where everything is online. And we have to focus more on presenting a product that seems interesting and has a story behind of it or something attractive that would make people want to click on that song and listen to it. So, I feel like we're not putting enough effort into the marketing side of it. We're creating really good music. But it's to, to cover the other end, which is, I guess, the music is 50% and the marketing is 50%. So we only get an half right there. Mm, well put, well put. Mm-hmm. Now, what are some of the mistakes that you've heard a lot of up-and-coming engineers make in their recordings? Um, I would say where most people fall short is in the quality of the recordings because it's like building a house on a shaky foundation if your recording is poor no mix and master or anything like that can save it so i feel we don't put enough effort into capturing the best quality recording possible and when i say quality recording i'm not just referring alone to vocals i'm talking about even down to the selection of songs that you use in your songs. I feel like we choose a lot of poor quality songs that when it comes time to mix, the mix can't save it. So 
need to focus more on the foundation and making sure that we capture the best quality songs, and I'm referring to vocals and the music, in order to put something out there that sounds top-notch. You remind me of a friend of mine who, in film, <laughs> we you fix things in post-production, you know, editing, mm-hmm. color, etc., and no matter what happened on set, he'd go, ah, we just fix it in post. Yeah, it doesn't that, It doesn't always work that way. Yeah, it can always cause a headache in the end because sometimes it's it's not fixable. And even if it's fixable, it's like the quality won't be the best possible because you're already working with something that's poor. So it's like, kind of like, what, is, what, what do the older folks say? Polishing a turret. <laughs> yeah, some, yeah, something like that. <laughs> Now, describe to us the the mixing and mastering process because a lot of artists, as you mentioned, think that it's 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 magic. It's automatically going to sound good no matter how poor the quality is. Uh, if you just for the layman, the person that doesn't know how it works, how does you know how do mixing and mastering work in terms of music? Um, I would. What's the best way I can describe this? Mixing is the process of trying to get the best balance between the instruments, the vocals, to sound as clear as possible without it sounding, you know, muddy or any instruments masking one another. The process of mastering though is adding that finished polish to the song. So it's like kind of like when you add a filter to a photo, depending on the type of photo, you have, you want to find the right filter that will accentuate the photo and not actually depreciate the quality of the photo. So I guess that's the way you can view mastering. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, Sherrod, we know of the famous hit factory in Miami. And it's one of the most um, coveted positions, coveted studios in terms of... Um, engineers mm-hmm. in the music industry period you work at the hit factory i know i know you bounce back and forth between your beloved anguilla and miami tell right. us about some of your experiences at the hit factory well first of all let's let's back up how did you even get the position at the hit factory yeah that was an interesting situation so i graduated from full sale in august 2011 and I remember after graduation, um, I took a little cruise as a celebration with my family. And as I got back from the cruise, the first thing I did was I said to myself, I'm going to take a drive down to Miami just to visit family. And while I was there, I was like, you know, why not try and hit up some of the studios and see if it's any openings? So I did up my resume. I went out to three studios that day. I went to the Hit Factory. I went to Circle House Studios. And I went to South Beach Studios. Three majors. Yeah. And within the within a couple of hours, I got a call back from the Hit Factory saying, you know, um, we just checked out your resume and we'd like you to come in for an interview. So I was like, wow, 
like these guys actually get back to me so soon. That was like a surprise. But um, I asked them when they want me to come in, and they said, how soon you can come in? I said, I'll be there the next morning. So I went in for my interview the next morning, and obviously I believe I said what they wanted to hear because they said, um, how soon can you start? And I was actually just visiting. Like, I literally just came down to visit my family. So I didn't have anything in Miami in terms of my belongings. So I told him, you know, just give me the weekend to go get my stuff from Orlando. Because I was still living in Orlando at the time. And I will move all my stuff down. And then I can start on Monday. And wow. in the morning, bright and early, I was at a hit factory working. Who was the first artist you worked with? Um, I think the first artist I worked with was well it wasn't an artist with a producer a detail he produced like uh drunk in love for beyonce yeah um he also produced how to love for Lil wayne so he was hot at the time but that was the first session that i was in on where i got to see how the world-class producers work so that was an interesting experience were you were you shell-shocked a little bit were you <laughs> To be honest with you, I will, I guess because coming from Anguilla, we don't really get um, shell shock. So starstruck, I should say. Star, starstruck, sorry. <laughs> that was what you used, starstruck? No, no, I said shell shock. That was my mistake. Oh, oh. Yeah, correct. I was like, okay, yeah. So, I mean, being from Anguilla and my upbringing, I guess because... We don't get starstruck. No, we don't. Yeah, it was a great experience, and I was really grateful for it. But I was really cool and calm in that session. And, like, I guess they felt the vibe, too. So it's like they kind of actually trusted me and would ask me my opinion on certain things because they realized I was just being cool. I think if I was starstruck is when they would have been a little bit more standoffish. So that worked out for the best for me. Mm-hmm. Who are some of the people that you have worked with since? Um, since that, it was Timberland, Lil Wayne, Bardman, Pharrell, just to name a few. So did you invite them all down to the island or no? <laughs> <laughs> well, you see, in those situations, it's like, because it's such a professional setting, is and my rule, let me say, in those sessions were not producer, I was just an assistant. So my job was just to be like a fly on the wall and observe and just help if I need, if I needed to. So there wasn't much conversations between these guys while I was there. Right, of course, of course. <laughs> What, who are some of the other artists that uh, come through the Hit Factory? Man, the Hit Factory is like the number one studio in Miami. So any major artist that you can think about, they came to the Hit Factory. Mm. That's just how big the Hit Factory is. It, it wasn't. It would be easier to say who wasn't there than to say who was there. Wow. <laughs> and they have a branch in New York, or they used to, right? They used to have a branch in New York that closed down probably back in like the 90s, I believe. Um, I remember reading that John Legend, last studio session, sorry, I take that back, it's John Lennon. I remember hearing that John Lennon's last studio session 
was at the hit factory before he was assassinated on his way home from that studio session. So, wow. I, yeah, that, that studio has a lot of um, history. In, and this was the branch in New York. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Right, because Lennon right. was, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. So, Sherrod, when it comes to soca music in particular, or let's say Caribbean music, um, many artists ask me, and I, I, I don't always have the answers, but in the Caribbean context, because there's so many rules in, for different territories. For example, in Jamaica, producers produce a rhythm, and then they pay artists to jump on that rhythm. In soca, I've heard in Trinidad, it's quite the opposite. Sometimes artists have to pay the producer. So what are the general rules or... How, how, and I know you deal a lot with soca. If I'm an artist and I want to jump on a beat, uh, do I pay you? Do you pay me? In addition to that, how is a royalty situation worked out? You know, what are the particulars of, of, of being... Of, what are the particulars of the producer-artist relationship? Well, Crispin, every situation is unique. So I would not say there is any specific rule or guideline to follow. What I would say, though, is that, let's say, for example, if an artist approaches me, let's just look at it generally speaking in terms of the art of negotiation. If an artist approaches me for a song or a beat, whichever one, that means that I am in the position to charge the artist. Now, if I am approaching the artist, it's a different situation in terms of the negotiation where I am asking the artist to jump on my beat. It's not that I'm getting it the other way around. So in a case like that, let's say, for example, with Trinidad, usually they don't charge to jump on a beat. So it would be a situation most likely where we would split the royalties evenly down or, like I will I say, is that every situation is, is, is different. But generally speaking, we split the royalties down half-half in a situation that if the artist approaches me, depending on which artist it is, I can now judge if this is an artist that will bring me more on the back end or is this an artist that I should charge up front because it's less likely to make money on the back end. So you have to know how to deal with specific situations. So that's why I'm saying that there's no specific guideline because every situation is different. In Jamaica, it's also a situation where, like, if an artist, if I'm approaching an artist, yes, I would have to pay the artist to jump on the rhythm, but then it can be a situation as well where, depending on the relationship I have with the artist, they might jump on the rhythm for free. Mm. So it's not every situation is the same. That's the best way I could put it for you. Awesome, because a lot of people always have questions, you know. Yeah, yeah, I understand. I know it's like, especially from the outside looking in, you're curious as to how would I go about this if I'm placed in this position. The best way to find out is to place yourself in the position. <laughs> for sure. So I got an interesting one here for you. Um, when you sit down and listen to music, and I'm going to stay with soca for the, well, let's do soca and reggae for this question. Name me some songs as a producer with your producer's ear that you sort of sit and say, "Wow, I wish I had done that one." Uh, if 
first one comes to mind is Toast from Coffee. Like, that's amazing, well put together song. The next one that I would say, probably in the Soka market, would be, hmm, I'm guessing, Hello by Kess. Ah. Yeah, that was another sweet one. They're well put together. Good one. How about in hip-hop? How about that genre? <laughs> um, I would say Big Pimpin from Jay-Z. Mm, uh, produced Timberland by produced Timberland, one. yeah. Timberland. Yeah, that one really stood out to me. Also, I mean, Timberland is one of my favorite producers. There were a few songs from Timberland that I would say that really caught my ear. Um, Pony as well by Genuine. Mm-hmm. Um, more recently from Timberland, I would say um, the one that he did with, I think it was Justin Timberlake and Jay-Z. Mirror? Is that, it was, was that Timberland? I think that was Timberland as well. Um, that one came out like 2011 or so. Um, that was on the 2020 album from Justin Timberlake. Wonderful album. <laughs> yeah. I like I like the uh, he had one in '07 uh, called "The Way I Are" with Carrie Hilson. Yeah, that classic. was a big one too. Classic, that was a classic. Song. Yeah, and the thing is, what I respect about Timberland is the fact that he was able to reinvent himself over the years to have such a long career because Timberland been going since the '90s, and Timberland is still relevant today. Of course, like, Timberland could bring out another single right now and be hitting the airwaves and be on the top of the charts. I you know the, the work he did with Nelly Furtado for example this yeah awesome awesome work yeah he did some big songs with Nelly Furtado now Sharada sticking with the fantasy questions here mm-hmm. give me two artists from same genres again soca dancehall slash reggae uh, and hip hop that perhaps have not worked together as yet that you would love to hear on a track together? Like two soca artists that you'd love to hear together, two dancehall, etc. Okay, so for soca, I'd like to hear Marshall and Kess. For dancehall, I would love to hear, I guess, Buju and Coffee. Ooh! <clears throat> yeah, I'd like to hear those two together. And what was the other genre? Hip-hop, hip-hop R&B. Hip-hop R&B, <laughs> That perhaps have never walked, have not walked, worked together as yet. Yeah, that's an interesting one because it's like everybody's always collabing in that industry. Um, um, I think in probably Rihanna and Beyonce. I haven't seen those two done anything together as yet. I think that would be an interesting collaboration. Major. Yeah. Now, now, here, now here's my wishful thinking. Uh-huh. Nicki Minaj, Cardi B, and Meg Thee Stallion. I always think that Nicki Minaj and Cardi B already did a song together, for sure. And Meg Thee Stallion. And Cardi B and Meg Thee Stallion did a song. Together. Well, yeah, we we, we, we that's we know you about mean that. all three. All three. Yeah, all three. I don't think all of them did together, but separately, beyond sorry, Meg Thee Stallion and Cardi B did a song together. And Nicki Minaj and Cardi B. Oh, well, no, they were on motorsport together. Right. Yeah. And then WAP for yeah. Cardi B and Meg Thee Stallion. But all three, and then and then um, perhaps this these are my, my lyrical uh, 
fantasies coming out now. Uh-huh. Nicki Minaj and Lauren Hill. Ooh. You see, right? I think Lauren Hill has just stepped away from the music industry altogether in terms of like the major music industry. I don't think she. But but mean, but come on, you got to think that she could she can still spit out some back. bars. I, of course, I know she still got it. But the question is, is she trying to get back into the the music industry, or is she like out of that for good? That's the question. Well, I think she does like small concerts at times, I believe. Right, but that's probably more on an independent level. Yes. But on a major lab, label level, I don't think she's getting back into that. Yes, but yes. But I hope so. Like you said, it's wishful thinking. I would love to see it. It's interesting that we, um, we're discussing uh, females mostly. Yeah, well, I mean, females... Um, it's their time. Got, yeah. It yeah. definitely is. Uh, one last one. Um how about Nikki and uh, Missy Elliott? Ah, that would be real interesting because it's like you bring in they're both animated. Classic. Yeah, they're both animated, and it's like from two different eras. Yeah, so I think that would be like amazing collaboration. Most definitely, I actually love that combination. Most definitely. Now, what do you think? Because we're you know when we talk about hip hop, especially, mm-hmm. we're going back and forth about. Probability and possibility, and it seems more likely when it comes to hip hop than soca. Why is it that more soca artists don't collaborate? That's an interesting question. Um, I can't speak specifically for them, but I would want to believe it's more a competitive industry in the soca industry where it's like you know. Especially, like, say, for example, you see, like, with how dancehall, they have clashes. It is so cool. It might not have, like, clashes in the same manner, but I think it's more of a competitive nature. It's like silent beef. Yeah, I think so. Because in dancehall, even though there's a... I mean, I don't know of another genre. Mm -hmm. Perhaps maybe hip-hop is a close second. But Mm dancehall has a lot of bravado. Yeah. But they even even though there's so much bravado, they too collaborate, right? Yeah, I, I, but somehow I think Soka is a lot more competitive. But, from my experience, I can't say for sure that's the reason, but from my perspective, looking looking in, I think it's more of a competitive vibe. Perhaps because of the uh, market is smaller. Most likely, mm. it's a smaller audience and. You know, it's a lot less to go around the table, so. Got it. So my next question is, is there anything that you still want to accomplish in the music business? I I know you mentioned that you want to work with um, other artists and other genres, but other than that, is there anything else out there? Like, I don't know, perhaps scoring a movie? uh, Is there anything else? Well, to be honest with you, Crispin, at this point, it's like I'm just having fun with it. And going with the flow because I mean, what I've realized over the years after working with so many major artists is that it becomes like a cycle. It's like after you accomplish it, it's like you want to know what's next. But then it's like when you accomplish that the next thing, it's like it's the feeling that you get is not like not what you think it would be. It's like, it's like, how should I describe it? It's just a normal feeling for me personally. Let me, let me speak for me alone. 
So it's like after working with some of the top artists in the industry, I realized that as exciting as I thought it would be, it became just a normal thing for me now. So right now it's just for me having fun with it and going as far as my imagination can take me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sherrod, what advice do you have for aspiring producers especially, the young ones? So I would say to always stay true to yourself. Um, don't try to sound like somebody else. You may have influences in terms of who you look up to as producers in the industry, but don't go and try to copy their song. Always try to stay true to yourself and also try to stand out. Do something that will cause people to come to you because of what you bring to the table and you will always have work. Is there any producer that you uh, look up to even now? Um, I would say Timbaland. Um, in terms of people that I know, in Anguilla, Haji, Daddy Haji. Mm-hmm. Um, from Trinidad, KC Philip Precision Productions. He's a good friend of mine as well, and he has shown me a lot of tricks and trades in the business over the years. I would also say um, Daddy Jones from the VI, from St. Croix. Yeah, he had an influence on my career as well in the beginning, coming into the game. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think I think those are some of the people I can think about right now that I would say has had an influence on me over the years. So, Sherrod, what do you do? A man like you who's always busy, always on the go, you're on flights between Miami and Guilla and Trinidad, and what do you do to relax? <laughs> well, I'm a kind of guy, I'm a laid-back kind of person, so I like the slow life. So when I'm not doing music, I will probably just go somewhere like by the beach and literally just sit there and just listen to the ocean watch the sunset those those kind of things for me eases my mind when I'm on, on a, a downtime mm-hmm, mm-hmm. fun questions for you where's your favorite spot to eat in Miami <laughs> uh, I would say there's a spot I'm trying to remember the name it's a sushi place and it's it's in a, a area called Pembroke, Pembroke Gardens. It's an outdoor mall. But it's a sushi restaurant. I think it's called... Hmm, what's the name of that place again? I can't remember the name of the place. But it's a sushi restaurant in Pembroke Gardens. That's some really nice food there. It's like Asian food overall. So I get all different types of Asian food from there. What's your favorite spot to eat in Anguilla? I would say before the shutdown, I would say B-Check. I enjoy going to B-Check just because of the atmosphere, the nice little place. Like I said, I like the beach, hanging out on the beach. So you go there, you chill, get like a smoothie, and get something nice to eat. Yeah, that's my spot. Got it, got it, got it. What is the next big thing for Sherrod Lewis? What is that thing that we don't know about that's coming? Tell us what it is. Um, in the beginning of the interview, I remember you saying international soccer producer. 
So maybe in a few months, you will just take the circle out of the the description and just refer to me as an international producer. That's all I'll have to say. <laughs> Something is cooking. Something is cooking. Yeah. <laughs> Now, at the end of all of this, when you're 110 years old on your porch overlooking St. Martin, and you're in your rocking chair, what is that thing that you'd like to say, I wanted to accomplish, and I did it? What is your ultimate goal? And I did it, you said? Yeah. Well, to be honest with you, at 110 years old, I, I think I'll be confident enough to say that I have achieved everything that I wanted to achieve in life just because of my personality. So at that age, I believe I will have already conquered everything that I wanted to do in life. Um, right now, my ultimate goal, I would say, at this point in my life, is to start to give back to up-and-coming producers, artists, musicians. I want to be able to make the path a little easier for them to get to where I'm at now by, you know, giving advice and, and just helping open doors that weren't open for me, let's say, 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. So for me right now, I'm at a stage where I just want to help others that are on the come up to get to where they want to be a lot faster than it took me. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Now, this is a segment of the interview that I call The Planet Is Yours. And I uh, strap on my spacesuit and I go out into the atmosphere and I leave you on the planet alone. Planet 30 is yours to talk. Tell the people whatever you want to tell them. Uh, I want to say thank you guys for, um, for tuning in. I appreciate you having me on this interview. Um, I mean, there's so many people you could have reached out to, and just to reach you know, just reaching out to me, I feel honored. So honored I'm really happy that. You. Say that again. Honored to have you. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah. So I mean, I just want to say thank you for having me here, and I really enjoyed the interview. Um, we touched on a lot of stuff, uh, and I must say that you're doing a really good thing here, and keep it up because I mean, we need more more people like you that are exposing the world to the talents that most people may not know about or they know about, or they forgot about, uh, you know. So I appreciate you, Crispin, and I thank you for having me. Thank you. The most important question of the interview, how can we contact Sherrod Lewis? For those up-and-coming artists who want that fire track or or they want their stuff mixed and mastered, drop your socials, drop your website, whatever. Okay, so you can get me at on Instagram at CLProd, C-L-P-R-O-D. You can also get me on Facebook, Sherrod Lewis, C-H-E-R-R-O-D-L-E-W-I-S. You can also contact me via email, that's cmlewisproductions at gmail.com. C.L. Lewis Productions, that is? C.M. Lewis. Oh, C.M. Okay. C.M. Lewis Productions. Got it, got it, got it. Sherrod Lewis, it has been an absolute pleasure. I cannot wait to hear what this big surprise is in the next couple of months. (laughs) Yes, I'm so excited about it, but I can't give it away right now. But trust me, 
when it comes out, you'll know what I'm talking about. Oh my goodness. Can't wait. Can't wait. Thank you so much for joining us here on Planet 30. Thank you, Crispin. Thank you for listening to this episode of Planet 30. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at OnPlanet30. Like us on Facebook.com slash Planet30. Our email address is OnPlanet30 at gmail.com. That's O-N-P-L-A-N-E-T-T-H-I-R-T-Y at gmail.com. For more information about Planet 30, visit our website, planet30.com. That's P-L-A-N-E-T-T-H-I-R-T-Y dot com. I am Crispin Brooks, and this is Planet 30.